You can just stay in a place of worship as I read these verses to you. It's out of John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. It says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. This is Mary Magdalene. And as she wept, she stooped and she looked in. And she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying, because he's not there anymore. Come on. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener, and so she replied, Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher, and Jesus says, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Father, may we find you today, just as Mary did in the garden tomb 2,000 years ago that you, in speaking our name, that we would hear your voice. That the manifestation of your presence would be just as real to us today as it was for her. Birth in us an expectation. Stir in us a desire. Awaken in us a faith to believe that you are alive and that you know our name. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Can you just say thank you to the worship team as you're finding your way to your seat? Come on. Oh, so good. You know, we have a dual series that's happening. We've never done this before this summer here at City Life. There's a, there's a, a music series. There's the, the series of our worship is called A Summer in Song, and as Chris already shared, each week we're reaching back into times past and, and bringing some music that some of us are familiar with, some of you might not be familiar with, and just reminding us, right, of our story with God in worship for some songs that we sang decades ago. And then we have our sermon series, which is called Conversations, and each week we're looking at a conversation that someone has had with the divine in Scripture. I will say this, though, if when we get to heaven we're required to clap on two and four, I'm in trouble. I, I think there's going to be a remedial place for people like me. Like I, I, we're going, I'm going to heaven because I've made a vow of devotion to Christ, but when I get there, they're going to probably take me over into this side room there's going to be someone there to help me learn. It's going to take me a few thousand years, but I'm going to get there, Madeline. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. No, just, just go like this. Just, right? This is just, see, when you're charismatic or Pentecostal, you don't have to clap. You can just, just this is good enough. Just, I can tap my foot. All right, that's good. 
That medley, come on, that was, that was good stuff. Somebody say, see the glory. I love, Chris didn't even know what I was gonna be preaching on tonight, and he's singing all about glory. Holy Spirit, weaving it all together. See the glory. Let me reread the verses 11 through 13. To you, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and she looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Every time I read this story, I am struck at the casual nature of Mary seeing two angels. Is it just me? Like when you read this story, you're like, no, no, no. Mary's talking to them like they're just people. She, she's talking to them like she just had some, she ran into two people that happened to work there. No, no, it tells us. And, and to make sure that we understand that that's not what happened, it describes what they looked like. They, they looked like angels. Did you know that the most repeated command in the Bible is fear not or do not be afraid? And you know why that's one of the most repeated commands in the Bible? Is because when people see angels, they are frightened to death. One of the most common occurrences in the Bible with an angelic encounter is that people are afraid. Whether it be angels or just when people encounter something otherworldly. And some of these people are not just novices in their relationship with God. It's not like they're foreign to this idea of the nature of God and the nature of the supernatural. Listen to this in Mark 9, 2 through 6. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up high on the mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, right? We understand this to be the Mount of Transfiguration. His clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses, two people that have died, men of God, who are now living in heaven with the Father, appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let us make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Listen to what it said. He said this because he really didn't know what else to say for they were all terrified, terrified. Even after all the miracles they had seen Jesus perform, it did not prepare them for something supernatural. Daniel 10, 8 to 12. Daniel's a hero. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision, he writes. Listen to how he describes what happened to his, him physically when he had this supernatural encounter. My strength left me, my face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling, to my hands and knees. And the man said, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. And when he said this, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, do not be afraid. Luke 1, 11 to 13, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, do not be afraid. Here's Mary Magdalene, the morning of Jesus' resurrection. She's expecting to find him in the tomb. She goes there. The stone has been rolled away. She looks in and she sees two angels. But her grief and her sorrow is so heavy, she misses the glory of the moment that God had prepared for her. I wonder sometimes if 
angels are caught up in the scaring game like we are here on the earth. I don't know if you play the scaring game in your home. Our kids are a little bit older, so we don't play that game too much anymore because they can beat us up. But when they're little and they're vulnerable, as parents, we take great joy in hiding throughout the house. So when they come around the corner, we jump out, right? We're preparing them for an angelic encounter. This is part of a Christian upbringing. Oh, you wait, Madeline. You're going to be doing it. And then, of course, then they try to get you. And sometimes they do. And it's a big deal. When they catch you off guard and they make you jump and you get that adrenaline jump. I wonder sometimes if, if these angels, when they got back to heaven, they said, you get no more earthly assignments. You did not get to say, do not be afraid. Mary looks at them and just has a conversation. Listen to this. God uses sorrow to bring you close to sacred moments. In your sorrow, see the glory. In your sorrow, see the glory. Isaiah 41 through 5 reads this way, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill the valleys, level the mountains and the hills, straighten the curves, and smooth out the rough places. These verses might be familiar to you because this is what John the Baptist quoted about the coming of Christ, the Messiah. Listen to what verse 5 says. Then, this is an important word, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Is this prophetic about the coming of Christ? Yes, it is. Is it prophetic about him dying for our sins? Yes, it is. Is it prophetic about us making a, a way for him? Yes, it is. But it's also teaching us something about sorrow and glory. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. There's something about sorrow and grief that postures us in a place that is close to the glory of heaven. And my encouragement to you, if you are in a season of sorrow and if you are in a season of grief, I'm not belittling your grief and I'm not belittling your sorrow. You, you, you've, 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 you've got to work through that in ways that we often teach about here at City Life. But one of the ways you're going to work through it is that you're going to see the moments of glory that he has waiting for you along the way. This idea of making mountains being brought low and valleys being raised and the rough places plain and the crooked straight, this is poetic imagery talking about the reality of the life of the ancient world. If a king wanted to visit certain parts of their kingdom, sometimes they couldn't because there was no access. And sometimes they would spend years, spend years making a roadway so the king could visit they understood this. We're, we just, we're unfamiliar with this idea of not having access. We, just, we live in a modern world. We, we can go wherever we want. Traffic's too bad, we just put another tube in, the HRBT. Praise the Lord. I remember being in Haiti a few years ago, and I was on a bridge-building team. 
in the mountains of Haiti for remote villages because during the rainy season in the mountains, the, there's these uh, rivers that run through these deep gorges. And, and during the rainy seasons, those waters get so high and, are, and the current is so fast, it traps these villages for months at a time and they cannot get out. People cannot get to them and they can, cannot get to other people. So we're there building a suspension bridge so people can access medical needs, supplies can be brought in. And when we were there, we went to scout out another village that was desperately in need of a bridge because that previous year, a woman had died on the banks in childbirth because she could not get to the clinic on the other side and the doctors could not get to her in our modern world. If we're not careful, our sorrow and our grief will become barriers between us and the glory that God has waiting for us. Do not let your sorrow become a barrier. Let it be the pathway that God intends it to be because he wants you to see his glory. Somebody say, hear your name. Hear your name. He wants you to see the glory, but he also wants you to hear your name. John 20, beginning in Verse 14, it says, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus says. She turned, cried out, Rabboni. God wants you to hear him say your name. It's interesting as we read this, as soon as Mary realizes it's Jesus, he gives her a caution. He says, don't cling to me. Some translations render this, don't touch me. And I would say, and this text is often misunderstood about what he's really talking about. I believe what Jesus is saying to her is, Mary, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, because of all of the incredible things that we have experienced together over the last few years, if you're not careful, you will keep looking for yesterday in your tomorrow and you're going to set yourself up for disappointment. Things are going to change and you've got to let that change come. He's saying don't cling to me in the sense of don't cling to the relationship that we've had because the relationship that we've had is to prepare you for what's to come. And she experienced some incredible things. We, we know from the Gospels that Jesus delivered her from seven demonic spirits. Seven! Mary has a reason to cling to the story of her testimony. She has a reason. God has, has changed her life. If, if we're not careful people, we will camp in the memory of our previous encounters and we'll be so enamored by what was that we will miss what's to come. He says to you and to me, don't cling to me. 
Ephesians 3.20 reads this way. Let me, let, me, let me back up for a minute. It, it, it's, it's important that, that we understand that when Jesus does incredible things in our lives that is a gift to us to minister to our need in the moment. And God wants us to remember what he has done for us, which is one of the reasons why we're doing the Summer and Song. We want some of you to remember what you felt some of you decades ago when you sang those songs. Even though your kids are looking at you like, I can't believe that song ever did anything for anyone. But it did something for you. And you know what God did for you in that moment? He cared about what he did for you in that moment. But he also wants to do things in your future. And when he does things for us in our moment, as meaningful as that ministry is, never forget he's also doing it because he's trying to create an expectation of you that he can keep doing that in your tomorrow. That's why Ephesians 3.20 talks about this idea of exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. He wants us to live our lives in such a way that we move through it with an expectation that with God there's always more and his more is always better. That there is a journey that he wants you to have with him. You, you, you've got to be willing to believe that there's something waiting for you in your tomorrow, no matter what you face in this life. And, and if, you're not, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you'll live so much in your yesterday you'll miss the promise of that future. See, when you, when you hear your name in a moment in time when Jesus ministers to you, it gets you ready to believe that you can hear his name for the rest of your life in every circumstance and every situation that you might find yourself in. We've got to believe that Jesus is able to do new things. Revelation 21.5 reads this way. Listen to this. Revelation 21.5 reads this way. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Carrie, I'm going to do these slides in a little bit different of an order, so if you can't keep up, that's okay. Just giving you a pass. I'm editing on the fly here, shifting it around. This is important to us because when Jesus says, behold, I can make all things new, he's, he's reminding us that we do not have to be afraid of redundancy and mediocrity in this life of Christianity. See, when, when, when we think about heaven and we read about heaven, at some point, maybe you've not had this thought, but I have, is 
if we're going to be doing the same thing over and over and over, at some point, are we going to grow bored with it? I mean, when you read in Revelation 4 and the creatures that are surrounding the throne, when you see them surrounding the throne, and, 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 and it says that they keep saying in the same tongue over and over and over, and you get the impression they've been doing that for thousands of years, at what point do they go, can we do another song that's a little bit different, like what City Life is doing, a summer and song, maybe a little variety here? But the reason why those songs don't grow old for them is because in heaven, Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Heaven is not subject to the law of diminishing marginal returns. Back when you could actually buy a physical newspaper in a box outside of a store, you'd put your money, you'd open it up, you could take every newspaper that's in there, but you would only take one. Why would you only take one, even though all the rest of them are there? Part of it's because you're honest, but even dishonest people didn't steal a second newspaper. Because the value of that second newspaper was so low, people didn't even want it when it was free. That's the law of diminishing marginal returns. There was no such thing as the law of diminishing marginal returns in heaven because Jesus makes all things new. And this word he uses for new is the word kainos. Kainos means new qualitatively. It's in keeping with the, the, the Greek word of heteros, which means meaning another one but something different. It means that something's being added, but it's, it's, if it's the same thing, it's new and improved. There's another word in the Greek, Greek that he could have used, which is neos. That means new quantitatively, and it's in keeping with the Greek word alos, meaning another one but something that is the same, like the newspaper in the box. When you know that Jesus knows your name, you begin to believe that he has your best interest at heart. And when you're convinced that he has your best interest at heart, you believe that what he has for you in your future is going to be grand and glorious. And that even if what's been happening in your past has been great, that you're not going to get stuck remembering what was because there's this expectation inside of you that he has a future for you that you don't want to miss. Listen to me, for too many people, church life never moves from naos to kainos because those same people never make the shift from me to we. They don't make the, they, they don't make the move from me to we. If life with God is only ever about you, listen to me, one of the vulnerabilities is that you will only ever focus on what's happened and you'll never turn for the future because part of what turns you to the future is not just the belief that he has something good for you, it's that he has something good for everyone. And when you make the, the move, when, when you move from a me mindset in Christianity to a we mindset in Christianity, this is important that you understand that. It starts with you. It starts with this idea of hearing your name. It starts with this idea of God knowing who you are. But, but at some point, he wants you to realize this isn't just about you, it's about everyone. So with Mary, he's saying, don't cling to me. Mary, I know that we've, I've done incredible things for you. I know that you have an incredible story, an incredible testimony. But if I were to stay here for you, then I would not be able to go to heaven and keep doing the work that I'm supposed to do for everyone else. God wants you to hear your name. For you, 
but to inspire you to believe that other people need to hear him say their name too. And if Christianity for you, if church for you has grown maybe a little bit dull and a little bit monotonous, maybe if reading the Bible for you has grown a little bit wearisome, maybe if worship for you has become a little bit perfunctory, that's a good word. Maybe it's because you just keep thinking about yourself and you're not thinking about everyone else. Does he want you to stop thinking about yourself? Certainly not. Because the world tried that and that was the monastic movement and that was a terrible failure. These, these things, that's why we're not saying go from me to them. We're saying go from me to we because you're included in the we. God wants you to hear him say your name. Because he loves you, but also because he wants you to know that you have a part to play in other people finding that same love. You can't just keep coming to church for what you're going to get out of it. you got to make the turn and say, I'm excited for what I'm going to get out of it, but you know what? My heart is also inspired for what he's going to do in the lives of other people. I get excited to come to church because I believe that other people are going to hear him say their name. We got a text from Nathaniel and Shannon Miller this morning that when their daughter, two and a half years old, Cassandra got up, I got their permission to share this, she got up out of her bed, she walked into the family room, plopped down on the couch, and the first words out of her mouth was, can we go to church now? It's like she'd been waiting, like you get this picture, like she's been laying in her bed and she realizes Saturday is church day, why can't we just go right now? Yeah. More of us need to find that desire in our hearts. Not just because of what's waiting for us, but because of what's waiting for everyone. There is something absolutely glorious that happens when we begin to serve one another, when we minister to one another, when we worship with one another, when we defer to one another, when we give for the sake of one another. He wants you to hear your name. Because he loves you, but he knows that that's also a gateway to you finding a love for other people who need everything that he's also done for you. Hear your name. Somebody say, make the shift. Make the shift. COVID has been a hard year for us. We understand that. It's been hard for the whole world and still is in some places. But I'm going to challenge some of you tonight that there's a shift that you need to make. There's a, there, there's a shift that you need to make that you've got to re-engage life in community with other people. Have you ever noticed that in the Gospel of John there are four post-resurrection encounters with Jesus. This is important. This is instructional for us. And in all of those, they were either with other people or they had gotten there with other people. Mary's having this encounter in the garden tomb, but you got to remember, she didn't go to that tomb by herself. There was a whole group of ladies that went with her in community together. 
There's two. We don't know if it was in the upper room, but it, it says that they were locked away. We assume it was the upper room because that was the place in Jerusalem where they had been with Jesus for the Last Supper. It's assumed that that's where they continued to meet as they were working out this miracle of the resurrection of Christ. We know Thomas wasn't there the first time, and so when Thomas was there, Jesus came back a second time. We're given those in John 20, 19, and then John 20, 26. And then in John 21, verse 1, we find them in Galilee. And the reason why they're in Galilee, it's not because they're hiding. It's because Jesus said, go there and wait for me. So in all of these encounters and all of these post-resurrection experiences, you find people in community, and you find them in places where they were supposed to be. Just because he can meet you where you are doesn't mean he stops asking you to come where he is. Just because he can meet you where you are doesn't mean he stops asking you to come where he is. Some of you, you've got to make a shift. COVID forced you into a shift that you might not have wanted. And, and, and that shift was one of isolation. That shift was one of at home. That shift was one of I don't actually have to put pants on to go to church. Hebrews 10.25 reads this way. Hebrews 10.25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return draws near. This could have been written two weeks ago, but it was written 2,000 years ago. That's important for us because there are always reasons that we can find to stop gathering together. There's always reasons we can find to stop gathering together. But there is an encounter with him that you will not have by yourself. There is an encounter with him that you have by yourself, but there is something that we experience in community together that is unlike anything else. And we need both of them in our lives. The shift is not to abandon the personal journey with Christ. You with me? The shift is let's bring back community together. Now, are there some exceptions to that? Sure there are. Is online church going to be a part of our future as a church forever? Absolutely it's going to be. And it should be. And it should be. Online church and what's happening here with this team that's investing, people on the cameras, and the, you might, there's another whole sound team that's producing a service for the online experience. We love it. It's not going anywhere. One of the reasons is because of the evangelistic impact that we're having. We're getting the gospel into people's homes that we would have never had an opportunity to meet with. When people finding us online and, and, and the message of Christ is going out to people all around the world, come on. We love it. That's not going anywhere. There's a benevolent aspect to online church. People who are homebound. People have unique medical conditions, and it's not safe for them to re-engage. We have families in this church who have serious medical conditions, and they should not be mixing with other people. This is for them. There's a benevolent side to online church. It's, it's to be able to bring worship, a worship experience and a teaching experience to people that they don't have any other choice. It's informative. What does that mean? If you're visiting today, chances are this isn't your first visit. It's just your first visit in person. 
There is a way now for people to learn about churches in a way that is safe. There's a way for people now to learn about churches from the safety of their own home. That's important. I like that. It's timeless. It's timeless. This message today, you might not have ever experienced grief and sorrow in a way that's life debilitating. But you're going to at some point in your journey. Maybe it's 10 years from now, a family member is going to die and it's, it's going to be a grief that comes into your life that you feel like is unbearable. And the Holy Spirit might whisper to your heart, remember back in the summer of 2021 when you couldn't clap two to four? And you heard this message of hope that there's glory waiting for you in your sorrow? Go back and watch that again. We're talking to you right now. It's timeless. These messages, these worship experiences, they're out there. It's not just for this moment. It's for waiting for people who need this ministry that might be far in our future. It's supplemental. Sometimes you're traveling. Jamal's on a plane right now, probably watching the service. He's probably talked to all the people that are around him to watch it with them. Hey, Jamal and all your friends on the plane eating peanuts. It's supplemental, meaning that there are reasons why you might not be able to be here. Maybe with your work, you have to travel a lot. Maybe you're in the military and you deploy. There's a way for you to stay connected and worship with your family. We love that. That's not going anywhere. We don't want it to go anywhere. But it can't be your new normal. It can't be your new normal. You gotta make the shift. Convenience cannot be your highest value when it comes to your Christianity. Listen to Isaiah 43.1. I'm going to turn back to this idea of hear your name because I want to talk to our young people for a few minutes tonight. So I'm in the home stretch. Isaiah 43.1 says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel. The one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you and I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. I want to talk to our young people just for a couple of minutes tonight because young people, like everyone else, they are desperate for acceptance. And if they don't find their acceptance and their sense of identity and their relationship with God, they're going to find it somewhere. And we want all of our young people to know that they are his. And when you know that you are his, then everything else this world tries to give to you in place of that has no chance because they will recognize it for being less because of the glory of what they find in their identity in Christ. That's why there should be a waiting list for the known, for volunteers. There should be a waiting list because you want our young people and the young people of this community to know that they are his now and not have to wait until they're Adults like many of us who stumbled and suffered through our youth and didn't come to Christ till later. My greatest regret, my greatest regret in life is that I didn't make a vow of devotion to Christ until December of 1990. My greatest regret. 
We don't want that to be the story of our young people. That's one of the reasons why we're doing this throwback thing. We're, yeah, we're having some fun with it, with the music. But one of the reasons why we're doing that is because we know for many of you that are old like me, maybe you feel a little bit disconnected from our music. I'm glad you feel a little bit disconnected from our music. Because music for us is a generational tether. It's a generational tether. Some of you, you grew weary from church because church, there was nothing in it for you when you were young. And we say there's got to be some things in the church that belong to them now that connect them now so that they're here when it's time for us to pass the baton. So music for us is a generational tether. That's why we fund our student ministries. That's why we have full-time staff for student ministries. We are sold out for the next generation, and I hope you are too. I hope you are too. If you're in this making this move from me to we, I hope part of what your we is are people that are a lot younger than you are. But this is what I want to say to encourage our young people. Encourage is a euphemism. In your, in your whole life, church has catered to you. And rightly so. Because when you were little, you were vulnerable. When, 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 you were, when you were little, it was important that everything about church was asking the question, what's best for them? That's what a healthy church asks when it comes to young people. That's what we ask when it comes to our children, when it comes to the nursery, when it comes to caring with our most vulnerable. We're not as concerned for you as we are for them. And that's important. And that's how church should be. But what gets hard and there's no way around it because it, them being the priority is what's important where they're vulnerable. But what happens is, is that our youth, all of this happened to us if you grew up in the church, at the point you get into adolescence and middle school and high school, you've been in a world where church is always catered to your need first. And then when you get to middle school and high school, it's hard to move from me to we because it's only ever been about you. So many people in their middle school and high school years, something begins to feel different about church and Christianity. The tug of we sometimes is something that is not necessarily what they would choose. And you hear things like this from young people. They st stop going to youth group. They say, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not what it used to be. And the reason why it's not what it used to be is because now something's being expected of them. The reason why it's not what it used to be is because they're supposed to not just come anymore for what they get out of it. They're supposed to come for what they can do for others. And it's hard. It's hard. If it's what you've only ever known, it's hard to make the move. And so as a church, what we're saying to you, if you've got children who are adolescent, this is part of you've got to help bring this message to them. You've got to help them talk about making this shift from me to we. Coming to things like the known can't just be because it's fun for your kids. It's got to be because you have been depositing a message in your children like we've been depositing a message in our children. They have a unique deposit of God inside of them. And when they're not there, that part of God is missing. That there's actually greater joy in serving one another than it is in only just being served. But when you're in that middle school, high school, that's emotionally difficult to embrace. So we've got to be patient with them, but not to the degree that we accommodate them. 
We need to lead our young people into this new perspective to help them make the shift. Some of you are 54 years old like me and you still have never made the shift. And you're stuck in a place of adolescence spirituality. Let's make that move, people. Let's let our hearts, let's let our hearts be overwhelmed with desire to serve one another, to minister to one another, to stop asking just the question, what's in it for me, and ask the question, listen to this, what is it, what, what is it that, that's in me that I can use to minister and serve other people? We're never going to stop making our children the priority. And we're never going to stop challenging our adolescents to move into a more mature spirituality that shifts away from me to we. And when those children know that God knows their name, that's where it all begins. But you've got to make sure if you have influence in the life of a child and the life of a young person, you've got to keep reminding them that not only does God know their name, but he knows other people's names too. And for some people, they don't know that yet. And when that begins to stir our heart, come on. There is a depth of meaning and faith that is indescribable. Instead of doing a closing song, oh, come on, he's sneaky. Sneaky, but checking my wallet, just sneaking up here. I didn't even know you were back there. Come on, come on. That's good stuff right there. He's going to play as I read this verse, but before I read this verse, stand with me. Let me just do a couple of more things before we close. I want to give a shout out to Pastor Justin and Pastor David and our whole staff. We've been gone on vacation for the last two weeks, and so thank you for working and doing extra so we could get away. That's good. Elise and the offices, just the whole staff team, Hannah, her team here with the before and after school program and the preschool. I'm telling you, if you haven't listened to the message from the last couple of weeks, I can't wait to listen to him again. Pastor Justin, he did the the blind man, Jesus and the blind man two weeks ago. Pastor David did the master and the manager. That message challenged me, challenged me. All right, the interpretation of that is... great. Psalm 90 verse 1. At the end of the service, we're still going to do prayer for people down here. If, you, if you're visiting with us, that's the flow of our service. At the end of our service, if you, if, you, if you choose to stay in here, we just ask that you posture yourself in a place of prayer and worship. If you want to hang out and talk with people, it's a, it's a beautiful day outside. Please do that outside. Don't do that in here. Uh, so we want to be able to minister to people in prayer. If you want someone to, to pray with you, we'll be down here at the front, and we'll be doing that for the next 10 or minutes or so. This is Psalm 90, verse 1. I love this. It says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. 
Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Father, I pray that all the places that feel like home to us, all the places that are familiar, all the places that we're drawn to because we have some connection to them in some way, and oftentimes it's deeply meaningful, I pray, I pray that nothing would feel more home to us, that nothing would feel more home to us than life together with the family of God in your presence. That what we're feeling right now in this moment, maybe some people are feeling it for the first time. Maybe if you're, again, if you're, you're, you're watching from home with us and you just have this incredible sense of, of God's presence in your life and this sense of community that you're feeling right now, God, I pray that that sense of home, that sense of home, will keep inspiring us in an Ephesians 3.20 way exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine for the people that are here right now maybe even silently in just a deep 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 place of grief and sorrow god i pray open their eyes to see your glory that their grief would not be an obstacle but it would be a pathway to some supernatural encounter that's gonna minister to them i pray for people that are here today whether they are old or young that need that need to hear you say their name. I pray even now that a supernatural whisper of heaven would echo in the ear of their hearts. And I pray for people that are here who convenience has displaced too much of the work of Christianity, God, I pray that you would help them to leave that behind. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, amen.